Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. We are the developers of the Ultimate Patient Experience Blueprint, where we help our clients attract, uh, acquire, engage, and retain more patients. If you want to learn more about that, you can head on over to www.rehabupracticesolutions.com slash UPE. That's rehab, the letter U, practicesolutions.com slash UPE for ultimate patient experience. Anyways, what do we got on the docket this week? This week, we've got Jamie Schreer on the show. He is a physical therapist by education and training, and now he runs what he's calling Practice Freedom U, which is a a program to help other clinicians that own a practice uh, work less, earn more, and live the lifestyle that they want. So we talked a little bit in this show about kind of his journey through practice ownership. He ran a, a physical therapy practice for nine years before selling, and he talks a lot about starting as a clinician or a practitioner and kind of the transformation that you need to make from that of the the hands of the business, if you would, the, the, the person doing the craft to the person running the enterprise and how, how they're, with every person that you hire, a little bit more of your role within the business goes away and a little bit more of your role shifts to directing the business, directing the operations, the vision, the strategic planning. So hopefully you find this episode insightful and it gives you some immediate tips and strategies that you can employ in your own practice if you happen to be somebody that that owns a practice um, and that's trying to figure out, you know, payroll due in a couple of weeks, what's, what's the most valuable thing I can do with my time. Um, and even if you're managing a business so you can understand or managing a clinic that so you can understand kind of the mindset that you need to have as you kind of climb up the ranks. So with every, every higher tier you go to, your role obviously changes. You're not a boots on the ground clinician anymore. You're, you're somebody setting the strategic vision and the operations of the business. So without further ado, here's Jamie Schreer talking about uh, Practice Freedom U and developing systems in your business. So, hey, Jamie, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Rafi. Appreciate you uh, having me here. Yeah, thanks for being here. So before we dive into this, uh, before we get started, for those who might not know you or what you do, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what got you into this type of work? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a physical therapist by trade. And uh, like like most uh, business owners, I got out of school, went right into being a, a clinician and doing doing that whole thing. And I just always had that bug, just wanting to do things my own way, not being told, you know, how to treat, how to deliver, how, when, to, when to take vacations and all that kind of good stuff. So went into private practice and 
And uh, it, it was great for, uh, <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> and then as we started to grow, um, you uh, need to hire people. And uh, so we started hiring people and I became uh, slightly overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I really didn't know what I was doing. I was a good clinician, but not really understanding how to do anything with business or people. Or I just assume I made the fatal assumption that everyone just worked like I did. Everyone just spoke to people like I did. Everyone just did what needed to be done. And that wasn't the case. So uh, after uh, a little bit more time of doing that, I started to become very um, uh, frustrated, uh, overwhelmed, um, and it just really affected me and my, my life. Um, and um, after a while, I just said, this is not what I created a business for. So I began to um, invest in myself and invest in my knowledge of how to actually create a business that delivered great care, um, that was able to create a team. And it was uh, pretty darn difficult. And I made a, <laughs> a, a ton of mistakes um, in doing it, but I, uh, I stayed with it. And, and, and nine years after that commitment, I actually created what I wanted, which uh, now I term practice freedom, but really having a business that was able to run without me there doing a million things. Um, so that's, uh, that's kind of what happened. And then uh, I shared my story to, to some other people and they started reaching out to me and saying, well, well, how did you do that? So then I created a, the, what I thought was the methodology of how I did it, which now I refer to as the practice freedom method. And now my goal is just to, to share this with people who want to build and grow their business and do it in a way that they're not kind of an indentured servant uh, in their own business. So that's, that's what I'm here. That's what I do. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting because I think you kind of highlighted that like a lot of us go into this and we do the clinical route first, right? Yeah. We're good clinicians and we're, you know, we build empathy, we get good outcomes for our clients. And then when it comes into stepping into more administrative roles, even if you're not running a, you know, running your own practice, you could be climbing the corporate ladder you would at a hospital or something like that. You're dealing with like the, the quote unquote businessy side of things, right? And a lot of clinicians either ill-equipped or they feel like they don't want to mess with it. They feel like it's, you know, I know, especially like in sales, I'll hear clinicians say that all the time, like, oh, that's dirty. We don't need to do that. Right. But you're saying we need to get a handle on it. So talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, I mean, you just, you just said it, you said the S word and the S word is, you know, <laughs> is, is a difficult word for people to understand, but I mean, you know, human nature is sales. I mean, we, we all do sales. I and mean, when we talk about this idea of mindset and perspective and, you know, when we're younger, we're, we're little kids screaming for something that's sales, right? But we think of sales and we connect it to, if, if you're older, like I am, you connect it to the old used car salesman. Yeah. Not the, not the new one. My dad was a used car salesman. He was pretty good. Well, that, they call him now pre-owned, right? Exactly. But, yeah. um, we connect it to like this worst of the worst, like because you're selling something, because you're helping people solve a problem that if you say sales, it's bad, but we all sell like each one of us. If, if you have a clinician that's on here, that's treating patients, you are selling every day. And what you're selling a lot of times is you're selling the plan of care. You're selling a, a plan and a strategy about how to help someone. And, you know, if you didn't do that, you probably wouldn't have a job. If you were a business owner, you'd be out of business. 
So I think it's important um, from a kind of a mindset perspective is for your listeners to understand that sales is not a bad word as long as you have the right frame around it. I like this, you know, one of the best definitions I ever heard of the word sales was, you know, persuading people to do something that is actually good for them. And I, and I love that, that definition because if you're doing true, authentic, genuine sales, which we are, we're, we're helping people make a decision that ultimately will help them get what they want. So that's kind of uh, how I look at uh, this idea of sales. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I've also heard the definition of sales of like, you're just facilitating a decision, right? Like you're not forcing anybody, you're not trying to manipulate anybody, you're just presenting people with options and, and helping them get there after you identify what their goals are, so. Yeah, but it's something that is good for them, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what this is all about. I mean, when it comes down to it, everybody in the world who's selling something, and we all are selling something, whether it's a product or a service, we're all selling something. The thing we're selling is actually the solution to help people get what they want. And when you position it like that, you can show up just as you share that, you know, like you said, you know, give them, give them an option and let them choose what they want to do. But out of integrity, because it's important for us to do this with integrity, out of integrity, it needs to be that you believe that the thing that you are telling them that they need to help them, you believe in that. And if you don't believe in it and you're doing it for other reasons, that's where the little sliminess comes yeah, in. Don't truly exactly. believe it. You're just selling them to make money yourself. And that's it. There's no benefit to them. Because if it's not a win-win, if everyone doesn't win, it's not a good business. So again, this is a, a, a reframe that many of us come out of school and we start working that we're just still watching those movies and those old things that keep us in this idea of that that selling and, and doing that is bad. Although all of us walk around saying, we just want to help people. And yeah, it's like, exactly. <laughs> you know, you're, it, it, you're kind of saying like, you want to help people. That means you have to help them make a decision around something that's going to help them, which usually is what we're trained in. So, yeah, exactly. Well, then you've mentioned it a few times. So let's talk a little bit about then the mindset that you need to make this shift, kind of what's involved in it, and um, I guess just start with like, what is, what is mindset when you're, def when you're defining it? And we'll go from there. Yeah, well, I, I love mindset because everything is mindset. And mindset is really just how you think about things. That, that's really all it is. And, you know, we all get out of school. We all become very talented clinicians. Why? Because we were taught how to think, how to operate. Uh, we're taught different strategies and tactics and courses and all that. So the result of that became being a very talented, awesome clinician. And then you make the choice, whether you're doing a, um, you know, a, a, a kind of a part-time thing or, or, or whether you're a full-time, you know, practice owner, business owner, we make the decision to go into that route, but we don't have the perspective around business. We haven't been taught, we haven't been necessarily introduced to this idea of, well, what is a business? What is the business designed to do? So really understanding, just putting your mind around the business is designed, it's the business itself. First of all, the business is not you. You have to look at it as the business is its own thing. You're the curator of the business. You are not the business. Now, yes, most of us start as what we refer to as a committed clinician. 
you start, you are the business, right? You're treating everyone, you're the self-employed doing it, but you still have to have that perspective that this business runs separate from you and operates separate from you. So that perspective right there means that your business has to do one thing, and that is your business has to be profitable. Unless your business is nonprofit, it has to be profitable. And there's an argument that even nonprofits have to yes. be. You need operating capital if you're a nonprofit, right? Yeah. You, you still need that as well. So it, it has to be profitable, which means that you have to be okay with making money. And again, this goes back to what we we're talking about before with your mindset of making money isn't a bad thing. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't put people on pedestals that are broke. It's okay to make money as long as you're doing it with integrity, doing it with what you want to do. So, so that's one of the first things to really understand about your business. Your business is designed to make money. And the way it makes money is delivering a service that you obviously have, have cultivated and created that solves a problem. When you look at it like that, it can help take away a lot of the emotional other stuff and the old baggage that might be uh, kind of permeating in your head where, you know, if, if, if I'm too successful, if I'm making money, people will look at me funny my family, my neighbors, my, my, my staff, maybe I don't feel like I'm not one of those people that make a ton of money. So those are a lot of things that we come to, to have to come to grips with in order to be successful. However you define success, one level of success is certainly going to be financially. You want to do this to actually have a, a good lifestyle, but it, you know, the idea of having this win, 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 everyone has to win. The company, of course, has to win. The patient, of course, has to win. And of course, the staff has to win. Everyone has to win. And when you get out of that idea of a win-lose, right, you go from this idea of scarcity. If someone wins, someone loses. There's only so much of the pie. So if you take most of it, someone else gets less. To this abundance, everyone can win. And thinking about your company, thinking about your patients, thinking about your staff in that manner helps you start to make better decisions because the results you get in anything in life, business included, is all based on two things. One, how you think and make decisions. And two, the actions you actually take based off of that. It's really that simple. Yeah, no, not I easy, love that. But it's simple. Yeah, it's not easy, but it's simple. I, I love the idea. And I have this conversation with folks all the time about this, like the fixed pie versus abundance. And I like to look at it in terms of value creation, right? Like as long as your company or your organization is creating value for your clients, like you don't need to worry about making money or not making money. Well, you should be worried about not making money, but you don't need to be worried about making money if you're doing it in a way that's creating value for those receiving. It's kind of like, Starbucks isn't out of coffee if you buy them a coffee and you're not out five bucks because you value the five dollar or you value the coffee more than five bucks and that and that whole thing too and the idea of value being subjective and being able to create it in in various ways is just very attractive to me and interesting right absolutely and value is the value that the patient client customer perceives yeah, it's exactly. not what you think is important it's what they think is valuable and important. And again, there's a mind shift too. So many times when we talk about, you know, marketing and, and we're having this discussion around marketing, we start talking about this idea of uh, features and benefits. I'm sure you've talked about that before and obviously you know about that, but I can't tell you how many people still, you know, I ask them a simple question, you know, what is value? What, what is valuable about your place? 
They tell me about uh, the amount of time they're spending with someone. They tell me about their, their certifications and dry needling, their certifications in this thing, their certifications is that. I go, those, th those might be valuable to you, but they may not actually be valuable to the person that you're treating because ultimately what they want is to get back to their life, to be out of pain, to be able to run again, to be able to hang with their kids again, to be able to do the things that they want to do. So this idea of value is very interesting because a lot of times we are looking at what's valuable to someone else in our own lens. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. that right there creates a different way of thinking and putting things together. And then maybe you're not getting the results you want because you're putting what you think is valuable and what you think is important, not what the ultimate person that you that's purchasing your stuff is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Value is subjective, right? And it's up to us to figure out what's valuable for our patient or our client. Yeah. Yeah, sure is. So um, let's talk then a little bit about maybe somebody has made the leap into private practice. They're running their own shop or maybe they're, you know, stepped into a managerial role. When you look at healthcare in general, especially over the last several years, it's become a tough environment to work in, right? You've got increasing competition, there's consolidation in the marketplace, you got declining reimbursement a lot of times. And then especially for those who are, you know, maybe young in their entrepreneurial journey, or they're running a small private practice, like they might be swamped every day, just treating patients like doing the work. So how do we, from a standpoint of trying to flourish to looking at this business as its own thing and growing it, how do we grow it despite all of that stuff that's kind of beaten on our door, if you would? Yeah. So let, let's, let's kind of step out a little bit and take a perspective of what we're actually in. So for people that are business owners, practice owners that made that leap that are doing it, we have to understand where we are in our business. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki, are you, are you familiar with him? Oh, yeah. and the Rich yes. Dad Poor Dad. So one, one of the most influential books that um, I read um, getting into this whole world that I'm in now is his book, The Cashflow Quadrant. And the Cashflow Quadrant talks about money comes into your world in really only four different ways. So he talks about either as an employee, so you're working for someone else, trading time for money, um, as a self-employed, um, so you might be able to make more money, but you're still somewhat trading time for money. And then you cross over to this idea of being a business owner. You actually own an asset and the business actually produces revenue, but not based on how much time or effort you put into it. Um, and then, of course, as an investor, we put money in the stock market, into real estate, into other things. So when I read this, I started to exploring more around, okay, how does this affect me as a, 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 as a practice owner? So I started to look at self-employed world. And I said, you know, there's actually two types of self-employed people out there. So the people that own businesses, there's a chance you're in these one of these two categories. One is called the committed clinician. This is the person that they're either moonlighting or whatever it's called. Uh, what's what's the moonlight's old thing? What, what's it yeah. called? You're you're uh, doing your little side hustle. Side yeah, hustle. Yeah, yeah, side hustle. So you're doing <laughs> you're doing your side hustle. You know, you're making a few more dollars, uh, baby. Um, so, or you have your you have your practice. Maybe you have a part time person there, part time front desk. But basically, you're the business right? Accountants are like this. Lawyers are like this. You can make money depending on what your model is, but you're always trading your time and your expertise to make it. So that's referred to as the committed clinician. Then what happens? You start to hire people. 
All right, because you're like, look, I can't do it all myself. We're busy. So you start to hire other therapists. You start to hire some front desk. Maybe you hire a billing person. You start to hire people, but you're not still a true business owner. You're what's called an overwhelmed operator. Because when you start <laughs> hire people, hiring people, you still have your job to do, but now you're overseeing this team. You're managing these people. You're managing like your HR person now. You're the marketing person now. You're the PTO person now. You're the like you're, you're doing your job and somewhat of other people's. So now your hours actually increase. So say 60 hours, you're working weekends, you're working nights. And if you have a family, oh my God, you're, you're now talking about this and people think you're just a crazy person roaming around. <laughs> um, your emotional state is going up and down. Um, I mean, it's, it can get really bad financially. You're in this up and down roller coaster. Um, so that's where most people lie, unfortunately, 95%. And that's where I lied for a long, long time. The next part, what we're really trying to do, regardless of what your business is, what we're really trying to do, if you want to be a business owner and actually own an asset, actually own something that can produce money without you trading your expertise as a clinician, is move into business ownership. We refer to this, at depending on what level, as an evolving entrepreneur and a lighthouse leader. This is business ownership. And what separates these two is two things. One is people. Two is systems. So when you have people without systems, you're an overwhelmed operator. If you have a bunch of systems without people, (laughs) you just have a bunch of manuals that you probably bought from somebody. But when you incorporate good systems with good people, with a mindset of how you as the leader, you know, you're the leader of this thing, how you start to see this as a business, how you start to better yourself as someone that can communicate and inspire people and create the vision and put all these things together and build your network in the referral community. When you start to do that, you got something really special. So that's what I learned, you know, going through all of this myself and realized it's very possible for us. You don't have to be this big company and big corporation to do it. I've seen small businesses, maybe, you know, three quarters of a million dollars to a million dollars have businesses that are able to run that the person isn't working 60, 70 hours a week. It doesn't mean you don't do anything. Your role just changes. So that's the perspective around business. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I think I'm living through this kind of right now. So I own a, a practice, PT practice, and we're 10 deep now, team-wise. Yep. And it is like, I'm looking at what I've got going on and kind of what my role is as we add new team members. And each time there's a little less, now I like treating sales, so I'm doing some treating, but like each time we add somebody, it's we're adding a system or a process or procedure And then my role stops being doing that and is more moving into this idea of, um, I always say that the most important things that I do are are cast vision and basically make sure the rudder is moving in the right direction, right? Like like at the end of the day, that's what I'm doing. And the rest is being delegated to hopefully being delegated to people that have operational manuals and operational procedures that keep them keep them doing the things that are necessary to make the business continue to grow the way we want it to, right? Exactly. And I love your mindset. I want to just take a point because whoever's listening to this, like you're going through this right now. 
And the way you're thinking about your business is taking you down a path that's very different, unfortunately, than most people are going down. Because everything you do, when you're this overwhelmed operator, when you um, are made a decision, I want to grow this business, you start hiring people. Every hire that you make up to a certain point has to do one thing and one thing only. And that is to give you more time. So every hire that comes in has to take something away from your plate. Yeah. That's the reason you're hiring. So initially, most people are like, hey, I've been there, done that. I like treating, but I know there's more I want to do. So who do you hire? Hire other people that can treat. But of course, when you do that, you got to put in some, we call them SOPs, standard operating procedures, because they're not just going to walk in and do things the way you did them. So you have to mentor them and you have to leverage what you have learned and all your wisdom in a way that they can be better professionals so they can then do that and get results. And then that gives you freedom to focus on other things. So whether it's answering the phones, whether it's billing, whether it's some marketing stuff, it doesn't matter what it is. Everything, Rafi, has to come from what's on your plate and what you want to remove from your plate. That's how you decide who you're going to hire. Eventually, those things start to happen and you get to do the role that you have to do. And most people aren't doing this role fully because they're too immersed inside the day-to-day -day operations. And you said it, one is you have to be the visionary. You have to have the vision because it's your business. Yeah. Nobody knows where this business is going except you. So your job is to get a clear picture of where this business is going in the future so then your team knows what they're working towards and can help you get there. The other thing you have to do is you have to be the mentor, right? You're always there to look how to best support your team, right? That's where the systems come in. That's where the meetings, that's where the other things come in. And then the third thing that is your role is you as an influencer. You can't delegate your influence over other people. So this really comes when we talk about marketing. Our whole, my whole take on marketing is relationship marketing. It's all about relationships and it's all about building your network of people. Well, there is nobody ever going to be as good as you. Exactly. Yeah. So if you have time, you can build that network because there's, come on, there's endless people that need our help, that want our help, that want the results from what we do. But you can't do that if you're inside the business day in and day out. And I tried a million different ways and I couldn't. That's when I finally realized, I said, wow, you know, if I really want to have a business, I can't trade 40 hours a week. So which one do I really want? I said, you know what? I've traded enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach other people how to be great professionals because I want to play this other game. So that's where a lot of times we get into this um, identity crisis. We are, we are born to be the clinician. We start doing that. We get lots of accolades. We're great at it. We then have a business. And eventually we come and we start getting torn. And I want to hear from you whether you've been through this. You're starting getting this torn from, yeah, but I'm a clinician, but I'm a business owner, but I'm a clinician, but I want to do this. And you start going back and forth. And that kind of wishy-washiness affects your team because you're, it affects how you, uh, your decision-making and how you communicate. And then all of a sudden we change our mind depending on how we're feeling in that particular moment. So, you know, it's really getting clear on what do you truly want from this, why it's important to Simon Sinek's perspective on why, why is it important, and then you start moving towards that. 
because that will help you align your team and align everyone that connects with you. But I want to ask you that, Brett, have, have, you, have you gone through that kind of, who am I today? Am I the clinician? Am I this? Like, Yeah, a little bit. So when I started, I was a clinician and then I actually left to do some healthcare consulting for the Department of Behavioral Health. So I was doing a lot of I, I call it spreadsheets. I was doing spreadsheets, policy analyst type work. You know, we were setting procedures and that sort of thing for, for Medicaid across the state. So I had that going on and I went through that. Like I, I liked being a clinician, but obviously I can impact a whole lot more people if I get this, like I developed the, the framework for case management for, for that we used here in Georgia. And I was like, this is obviously one of those things that's impacting a whole lot more people than if I went out to everybody's home that needed services and provided it, right? Like that's a high level thing. So I went through it a little bit there and then buying this practice and stepping into the ownership role and really wanting to get back into treating. And I'm going through it. Like I said, I'm going through it again. Like I really love treating, but at the same time, the business needs to keep the lights on. I want to make sure the business is growing the way we want it to. So I'm making decisions that sometimes remove me from treating patients because I have to, right? It's what needs to be done. <laughs> exactly. And, and you don't want to be apologetic for it. I mean, through life, we evolve. We're, we're not, you, you're not thinking the way the same word you were thinking when you first got into school. Oh, you yeah. evolve. You're a different person. The same thing happens in our business. We evolve. And too many times we're so hard on ourselves or so hard on this idea of, of people judging us like, Oh, but you're a great clinician. Why would you want to give that up? You're so great. You're so great. It's like, well, because I'm evolving to other things. I want to play other games. I want to impact other people in a different way. So I went through this back and forth, back and forth, because like you, like a lot of people, I have an ego. When you're <laughs> great, you are, you're like, well, I don't want to give that up. But then what happens is you're finally like, you know what? What I want is more important than where I am right now. So you start bringing in other people. And now the greatest thing before I sold my place a few years ago, the greatest compliment you could ever give me is when my neighbor goes, I just saw one of your people. They are the greatest team in the world. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad. And I was on a golf trip. I didn't even know they came in. <laughs> That's when like, wow, I'm more happy for them. And I, of course, share that with them. And I say, That's all you. Like, I don't take any of that credit because that's what this is about. It's about edifying and helping and giving them confidence. But we have to, you know, really sometimes check our egos and check our what are we about? Because yeah, if you're a committed clinician, if that's what you want to do, cool, then that's what you want to do. But there are a lot of people that want this next level of business, but are either not sure how to do it or not sure who am I if I do that? And that's a lot of stuff that what we do at, at Practice Freedom U, because we understand that, you know, depending on where you are, where your head's at, that's going to depend on how you communicate, how you make decisions and what actions you take. And that's, of course, going to result in your what you get. Yeah, exactly. Which kind of moves moves on to like that that big problem that practice owners face, which I feel like you've you've been talking to a little bit. But what is what you see as the biggest problem facing practice owners today? The, the biggest problem is we don't value our time. It, it's just that simple. We will piss away time like it's nothing <laughs> because we are not afraid to work. We will put in an all-nighter if it means getting up and taking that test and getting an A. We'll do whatever it takes, but that also can be um, a detriment to your business. 
because your time as the business owner, as the leader, your time is more valuable than everybody else's. And you have to say that my time is more valuable than anyone else's because I make everything go. So the idea of you um, giving away your time, treating patients hours upon hours upon hours, giving away your time doing this. I mean, if you're on boards or you're, you're volunteering for this, it's all great and noble stuff. But if all of a sudden you're out 60, 60, 70 hours a week and you're exhausted, you don't have time to really think about your business. You don't have time to, to, to do some of these other things like, you know, relationship marketing and building your network and putting in systems and understanding your data and all this other stuff, you're exhausted. You don't have time for that. So that's the biggest problem that I see is people almost, and this is just in our society right now, um, at least here in the Northeast and outside of DC where I am, how busy you are. If I hear one more person just tell me and bragging how busy they are, I was like, oh yeah. When did being busy become a badge of honor? Like, how are you doing? I'm really busy. I'm like, okay, no, no, I'm really busy. Really? I'm really, really, really busy. I'm like, <laughs> how about you, Jamie? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not that busy. Oh, then you're not successful. I'm like, I'm just productive. I'm busy when I'm busy, but I'm also blocking out time to make sure that I have time with my, my family, time with my friends and time for self-care and health and well-being. Because I know that, if you're leveraging how you do things, then you don't have to trade your time for money. So one decision, one opportunity that you put in place could yield $250,000. It didn't take you the amount of patience you have to see to generate that. It took you creating an idea, thinking it through, writing it down, connecting with other people and putting it together. And now it continues to evolve. So by far, that's the biggest challenge we have of how we see our time and how we just piss it away and not protect our time. Yeah. Well, I think you, that's an interesting point. You talk about people wearing busyness as a, a badge of honor. It's like we, we confuse activity with accomplishment sometimes, right? <laughs> exactly. When people, when people say that to me, you know, I go to different conferences and stuff like that. And I'm like, Hey, how you doing? I'm like, I just kind of set people up. Sometimes I'm just an asshole like that. Um, I just go, Hey, how you doing? Knowing they're just going to say that, Oh man, I'm really busy. I'm doing that. And I'm like, okay, are you achieving the things that you want to achieve? Are you, are you, are you, are you, is it what you're doing resonating with you? Are you, are you happy, truly happy? Not telling me you're happy because you have to fake it like I did for so many years, but I mean, are you fulfilled in what you're doing? And I know that's a deeper level uh, thing, but we, we live sometimes wrapping in this, in this superficial world. You go around and tell people how great everything is, but then behind closed doors, you're not fulfilled. You are overwhelmed. You are stressed. You're not achieving the things that you want to achieve. And there's no reason not to. There, there's no, nothing stopping you from doing that except your belief that it is possible. And with the number of people out there in the world who need our help, there's not a lack of people. Yeah. We just don't know, we don't understand how to do it. And we sometimes um, settle for, I don't know, maybe settle for mediocrity. I don't, I don't wanna say it like that, but we just kind of settle for complacency and being comfortable versus mm -hmm maybe getting out of our comfort zone, learning and growing, which is the only way you can, to try to impact more people. If you truly want to help others, then determine how you can help others without you 
personally doing all the work, but you coming up with how to help more people. And that's and that's pretty you know special when, when you're able to really impact and feel good about doing that. But again, for the people that want to do that. Yeah, no, I think that's great. So um, one of these last couple of questions before we get, get out of here is what can folks do, especially if they are in this kind of either new entrepreneur stage or they've been slugging it out for a while, what can they do to kind of foster this mindset, if you would, this growth mindset so they can be more successful, so they can hit the goals they want to hit, so they can build a, like you said, a business that's running that doesn't necessarily require them doing all of the things. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the first things that we teach people, and, and I'm sure people have heard this before, but I can't tell you how important it is, is you have to sit and create your vision. You know, Michael Gerber in the e-myth that he wrote millions of years ago talks about the primary aim. Uh, other people will name it something different, but it's what do you want? What is this business about, right? Why did you go into this business? What are you trying to uh, what are you trying to accomplish with it? Because as Stephen Covey said in his fantastic book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he said, you must begin with the end in mind. So the end is a destination. Like when you, if you go on a trip, you go on a vacation, the first thing you have to decide is, well, where are we going? Because based on that is going to determine, okay, do we need a car? Do we need a plane? Do we need a train? Do I need to pack a, a bathing suit or a coat? So where you're going starts to determine what you're going to need to put that together. So if your goal is, well, I want to increase our business by 3%, well, the answer is probably going to be, okay, just work a little harder and you'll get that. But if your goal is, well, I'd really like to go from uh, uh, $700,000 to $2 million business. I'd like to open up some other locations. I'd like to explore some other revenue streams, maybe do uh, uh, some other types of um, you know uh, uh, services. Okay, well, if you had to guess, when would you want that by? Um, two years. Okay, good. Then let's reverse engineer that and let's look at where you are right now and look at just look at one thing, your schedule. Where are you putting your time? And choose one thing, just one thing to delegate. I don't care how small it is. The first thing I ever delegated, which was kind of funny, was answering the phone. I don't know. When was the last time you answered your phone at your office? Uh, it's been a while. Okay. I was in there a few years, still answering the phone, not all the time, but I would just do it. It was just a bad habit. And I had a front desk person pissed off. <laughs> every time I would push her over and start scheduling the patient. And I'm thinking, Oh, look, Jamie's willing to answer the phone. Jamie's on the phone scheduling the patient. Then of course, when they come in, I'm treating the patient and I'm doing everything else. So the first thing I delegated, I just said, no more. I went to Claudia. I said, Claudia, I will not answer the phone anymore. And she goes, thank you. <laughs> like, let me do my job. So just by doing that, it, I got some time back, right? But not only did I get time back, I started getting perspective back. Because I was able to see, like if Claudia wasn't getting the result I wanted, I was saying, well, what can we do? What process can we improve? What communication can we approve? So it gave me a different perspective. So if everyone just has that experience of just delegating one thing, and we split them up to high energy activities and low energy activities. To me, answering the phone did not just energize me, right? <laughs> like neither did doing uh, payroll. So I used to do payroll. 
I used to do uh, bookkeeping. These were low energy. So I started to delegate and find who could help me versus how could I do it. And when I started to do that, it started to shift. Like the results got better. My life got better. My anxiety started to come down. I had more time to see things differently. And then I just kept repeating it and repeating it. So the, so the one thing that people can do is let's get the vision of where you're trying to go and then look at what's on your plate and look at one thing, smallest thing you can do, but fully delegate it from you and then take account of how do you feel now? And I've never heard someone say they felt worse. <laughs> Everyone feels better. Then it's like lather, rinse, repeat. Yeah, no, I think that's so important. I think one of the things too that delegating, just making the decision to delegate and then wash your hands of it, like I'm going to delegate and never touch this again, means that if somebody's not doing it the way you want or getting the results you want, it forces you to kind of codify it in a procedure, right? Because it's easy to step in and be like, oh, I'm just going to answer the phone to handle this call because I know how to do it right. And that totally negates why you're delegating it in the first place. So I love that idea of being able to delegate, put it in procedure, codify it, and then you never have to do it again, right? <laughs> yeah. To go back to your other question, you said, you know, what's the biggest problem facing us? I can go a little deeper into that. So I say time, but the, the deeper inside of time is the biggest problem is the ability to let go. Yeah. We have a hard time letting go, letting go of maybe our identity, letting go of I'm the, I'm the clinician, no one can treat like me. How could I possibly not be there, letting go of, you know, uh, doing, um, doing a workshop. You're the person that does all the workshops. You're the one that's talking all the time. Like just, just this idea of letting go, that's the thing that really prevents people from, from growing because when you're not willing to let go, you'll never truly put, it's not that you won't have systems in place, but you won't truly allow the people. And I don't particularly like the word empower, but for this conversation, I'll say it, you won't truly allow your team to be empowered to do their job. That's yeah. the problem. And when they're not empowered to do their job, you will never get leverage of your time. Never. So you can choose, you can you know, own it and not let go, or you can let go and you can just open up a whole new world and a whole new um, way of, of operating your business and achieving amazing results. So that, that letting go is a deeper, deeper piece that, uh, that is, is there with all of us. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, Jamie, thanks for being on the show. If there's, um, I always say this to people or ask this to people, if there's just one piece, and I think I know what you're going to say, if there's just one piece of advice you want somebody to walk away from, from the conversation today, what would it be? It's possible. It's possible. What you want, the reason you started your business, you had a dream, you had a vision in mind, you know, it's possible to achieve that. It's possible to create a life for yourself, for your family. It's possible to impact hundreds and thousands of people. It's possible. All of it is possible and you can do it. And it's your duty to do this and explore this. Don't let fear be greater than the vision and the purpose that you have. Just find out what it takes to do it. That's what I'd leave people with. Awesome. Great. And um, where can people find you? We'll link to all this in the show notes, but if you want to give a little plug for something, 
Where can people yeah, find I mean, you, the work? Learn about more about Practice Freedom U. You can go to my website, practicefreedomu, the letter U, uh, dot com. Um, we'll, we'll also provide um, a way that if you want to talk more about your situation, your business, um, you can set up a discovery call. We can kind of talk about that and see where you are and see what makes the most sense. Um, I also have a book that you can get on my website too called The Practice Freedom Method. It, it's, a, it's a really good book. Um, it it kind of goes through um, my life as a practice owner and all the trials and tribulations. I mean, I let it all out there. I tell you everything that was happening. I don't hold anything back. And then I tell you what I was thinking and what I did through my nine years of creating a business that was able to run without me, that went from a few hundred thousand to one and a half million, that I took 137 days off in one year, Holy that I was yeah. really in the office a few hours a month, and my staff was phenomenal, and our and our reviews were five stars. Like I tell you exactly how I did that. So that would be a great uh, great place for people to start to learn a little bit more about it as well. All righty, cool deal. We'll link to all those in the show notes. So Jamie, thanks for being on the show. Have a good one, man. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jamie Schreer about building a business that can run without you, especially if you happen to be in the private practice space. You've got a, a location or multiple locations. All of this becomes probably hyper, hyper potent for you. But even if you're an organizational leader in a, in a larger, maybe a healthcare system, a hospital system or something like that, putting the pieces in place, the systems in place for the ship to sail smoothly, regardless of who is there, is very important. I'm thinking back about my time at the VA and it seemed very almost too common that someone would rise in the ranks, they'd become some kind of uh, lead clinician or department head or director of something or other, they'd get some title and they would get some sort of responsibility and they would be the point of contact for all of that, which is fine when they were there. And even if they were on vacation or out on leave, you could, you know, you could kind of keep the wheels on the bus for a little bit. But if they ever left, moved to a different department, moved to a different organization, resigned, retired, whatever it was, all of that knowledge, that institutional knowledge, if you would, that they've received and that they garnered over years sometimes of doing that same job and being the person for that one job, all their little idiosyncrasies, the way they had even documents organized in their file cabinet, they would leave and the entire department or an entire service might be rendered basically inert until they could either hire somebody or figure something out for you know for for putting a system in place to do that job again and it would be the same thing another person would come take that job they'd pick up the pieces from that person from the previous person leaving the job they'd put their own systems in place they'd have their own organization and they'd leave and then you'd be back to square one so as management and as you know organizational leaders whether you own one clinic or whether you're a manager in a, a hospital system we need to be very proactive about making sure that the people that we have running or doing the jobs, doing the specific tasks are working all off one uh, song sheet, if you would, or one framework so that you can swap out players in different roles and you don't lose any function or any of the operational strength that you had as an organization. So thinking about 
um, think about that as you go about your day. Like, what am I doing or what is my employee doing or what are, are these people that report to me doing that if they were gone would never be able to be you know, figured out by somebody else without putting a lot of time and energy into it and then find a way to systematize that, you know, put it down as a procedure, as the VA and, and big organizations are big fans of uh, standard operating procedures, SOPs. It doesn't need to be anything, you know, that strict or bureaucratic, but it does need to be something where somebody fresh and green could go and pick up a manual, if you would, and be able to implement. And that's what we want. So anyways, that's all I've got for today. If you like the show, it would mean a lot if you headed over to iTunes and left us a rating and review. It helps people find the show. Um, if you want to be alerted whenever we drop episodes, we drop them every other week on a Wednesday. Sometimes there's a bonus episode that gets thrown in. Um, but you can do that at www.betteroutcomes.show. Or you can head on over to RehabUPracticeSolutions.com and find the tab for the podcast. And you can see all of the old episodes um, and sign up to get new ones delivered to your inbox. And if you are a business owner, a practice owner, or a, an organizational leader, and you're looking for a way to acquire, engage, and retain more patients, if you're looking to increase your revenue, decrease your no-shows and cancellations, and deliver better outcomes and unmatched patient satisfaction, satisfaction uh, then reach out to us or learn more at rehabupracticesolutions.com UPE and read about the ultimate patient experience blueprint where we walk your organization through our proprietary steps to both develop a solid positioning strategy for you. We will help you map your relationship with your patients through what we call our patient relationship mapping. Um, we'll work on your messaging, your communication strategies, and then we will help you develop a value framework that allows you to both communicate and deliver high impact, high value services to your patients. And you can learn more about that at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com UPE. Until the next time, folks, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.